Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and if you don't figure out that brain mouth thing, you're going to be off the team. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and you'll have to accept there are certain things you won't understand right away. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of cybernetic postcolonialism and hegemonic masculinity. <laughs> Today we'll be talking about Transformers, which is available for rental at Amazon Prime, and I have become addicted to the x-ray feature on Amazon Prime. <laughs> so it is also available elsewhere, but I have to highly recommend doing Amazon Prime because there's some real nuggets. Because I don't know who writes those, but there's some... <laughs> there's some interesting facts that you there's learned. Some personality. Yeah. Yeah. There's some personalities coming through. Yeah, it doesn't come across as a corporate account, is the way I would put it. Yeah. Would that be the way the way to describe it? I agree with that. Yeah. There's some. I think. I think it, we might get to one of my favorite entries yeah. um, in debris field. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about transformers. We're going to be talking about the rock next because we're we're in the middle of April. Walking toward you at the flames behind Explosions. us. Guns. Just. Guns. Biceps and guns. Yes. yes. Both. So much gun show. Uh, sweaty, sweaty people. Yeah. Sweaty, pretty people. <laughs> that is the Michael Bay formula. Sweaty, sparkly people. Yeah. Sweaty, sparkly people. So we're talking about that. We're going to wrap up with The Rock, mm -hmm. which I'm looking forward to because we've done two Michael Bay movies that have been interesting. Mm-hmm. But we're not especially enjoyable. And I remember really, really liking The Rock. Yes. Yes. So I, I think that'll be well, good. Well, I think the better way to put it is that we this is our third one we will discuss. And I think we're in agreement that the quality has gone a little downhill over the next, over the. <laughs> <laughs> we sh maybe should have staved Armageddon. Yeah. I but know. although I think it's actually bookending the with The Rock, stuff I think we, with, the yeah. two, with the two best. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It'll be interesting yeah. to see sort of how it all fits together. <laughs> After The Rock, we are doing a special episode mm -hmm. that is going to be a crossover episode. Dan, explain. Well, we are going to be doing one episode of Star Trek, the original series, which I believe is called Balance of Force. It's when the Romulans are introduced. And then we're going to do the season finale from season one of Strange New Worlds, which revisits the events from that episode, actually. So it's sort of two television episodes back to back. We thought it was a nice way of doing it. If you like that concept, mm -hmm. dear listener, you might want to listen to our Tribbles episode yes. where we, we do a similar thing with uh, Deep Space Nine. Right. We did the trouble with Tribbles the, and then the DS9 revisiting of that episode. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and if you are listening, won't you please consider becoming a patron? Mm -hmm. You become a patron at patreon.com slash space the nation. Yeah. You get to hear episodes early. Mm -hmm. Dan, there is merch. There's coming merch coming. There is okay. no, 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 no. Oh, there there actually, is wait. merch that you. There is merch that you get automatically oh. that just has our logo oh, on nice. it. Nice. Okay. This is good to know. I don't know. If, yeah, you. I don't know if you knew. I that, did not but that know patrons, that. <laughs> patrons receive automatic merch. Oh. The merch that I've been that's our vaporware merch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is the cool merch. I see. You know, okay. the merch that has is their IR in right. it on the back. You know, I would also add like that that kind of thing. that a major benefit of uh, becoming a patron is that you get access to the Discord channel, and you know, oh, yeah. gotta really praise our Discord channel. It's a bunch of really interesting people, and not a single one of them has leaked classified information <laughs> as a way of trying to win an argument. I'm really proud. Or impress or us. Or impress us. I'm really proud of them that way. You know, well done by all. I mean, it's a it's a bunch of mature folks is what I'm trying to say. And we do have some people that work at least adjacent yes. to several different government agencies. Right. So And you know what? There's they're grown potential. ass they're grown ass people is what I'm trying to say. Like they're You were gonna say men. Yeah, I know, I know I, know I was. It's, it's okay. Sure. Yeah, I was. It's okay. Yeah. There most it is it's mostly, mostly dudes. There's actually but there's a vibrant community of non-dudes True. yes yes as well yes, absolutely. on the discord mm -hmm. our discord is fantastic dan and i are both there pretty often yep. they have great ideas we talk about everything mm -hmm. there is a, a channel for pets <laughs> not for pets although, <laughs> although that that's something cool we could channel. do yes. <laughs> I, I think exley and mimi would be down for that molly murder kitten would of course like ghost everyone it would be fascinating you know yeah yeah molly the murder kitten would just be like i'm coming <laughs> <laughs> it would be like a horror movie that you know, one that takes place online. Yeah. But besides the Discord, Dan, where else can people catch up with us? Well, this is complicated since Twitter has 
<laughs> Twitter has done what Twitter has done. We uh, are on various forms of social media. On is on Instagram. I am on Substack. Uh, we are both on Mastodon and Post. But, you know, just Google us and you can find Anna's website because she teaches there. And, you know, you can, it's a great way of, like, yep. you know, accessing that. You'll find me at a Substack called Dresner's World, which is going along like gangbusters. So, you know, we're, we're around. Dresner's World is going along like gangbusters. Yeah. I love it. I love to hear it. You love to hear it. That's what that is. It's actually doing pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, good. Well, well, that brings me to the first question I have for you, which is, how are you, Dan? I'm hot, Anna. Not in a Michael Bay sense, <laughs> um, but in a literal temperature sense. We are having a... a, a well, that is also the Michael Bay That sense. is true. We are having an unseasonably <laughs> warm couple days where the temperatures are like in the 80s here. And of course, no one... My air conditioner units are not in, so it's a little... It's a little stuffy in the room that I am recording right now. But uh, beyond that, I'm, I'm doing well. I am starting to gear up for a trip in May uh, to Central Asia. So we on Space the Nation are going to prepare for that. So don't worry, we're going to have content for you. How are you doing, Anna? I'm good. You know, it is funny how we all just default to talking about weather. I just find that fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's because it's a thing we all experience, right. I assume. Yes. Right? So and you're far away from me, what- so it's different there. That's what. That's also right, why it's interesting. Right. Yes. So we are having like we we get two weeks of the year of really nice weather in Austin, where it's like not too hot and not too cold. I mean, I'd say it's the hot. I like hot too. Mm-hmm. So like we get two weeks which are objectively nice weather, and that's what you're like, experiencing. That right anyone now. would agree yeah. that it is nice weather. Yeah. We don't get them in an order. Mm-hmm by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like one day, one nice day followed by two extremely cold days. Yeah, another nice yeah, day, yeah, yeah. a day where it's too hot. Like, I, I guess. Yeah, that, or, yeah. and there might be a really nice day in February. Yeah, fair enough. You know, yeah, yeah. like, it, yeah. it, it's just, it, it's, it's a crapshoot. Yeah. We've had a couple of those mm-hmm. and, and I love it. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to say I've really been enjoying Yellow Jackets. I've been enjoying it as well. We're going to be talking about Yellow Jackets next month. We're going to have a two-parter, one on the first half of the season, one on the second half of the season. The highest compliment I can pay Yellow Jackets on it, I don't know if I can watch more than one episode a night. It's intense. It's intense. Yeah. <laughs> like it's. We'll talk about this next month, but like it's the closest thing I think I've been watching at any time that reminds me of Twin Peaks. Yeah, and it also has the fucking best needle drops of any show. Although, oh, and the soundtrack, Jesus, we are yeah. of course biased. Yes, we are. We are. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. But they had the episode bookended by Sharon Van Etten and Tori Amos. Yes, I love that. All like my, I had friends texting me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just like. It punched a very specific button with like 40-something Yes, yes. No, no, no. No, no. We were, uh, Eric and I were feeling it the same way. Exactly. Okay, we're we're right, distract- But we're not talking about Yellow Jackets. Exactly. We're here to talk about- We're talking about something very different, God, even yes. though there's a bumblebee. That, oh, good point. Yes. Very different. Yep. We're here to talk about Transformers. And, you know, listeners might be wondering why this. And the honest answer is, is twofold. First of all, this is Baperil. So we're talking about all Michael Bay stuff. Walking toward you. (laughs) Second, this franchise is occupied a fair amount of the past 15 years of Michael Bay's career, Anna. Five films that he directed over 10 years, plus a prequel and a sixth film um, that he's produced. Which is frustrating because, how to put this, he's made interesting films during the same period, and none of them have the word Transformers in the title. Okay, Pain and Gain was a really interesting film. Ambulance is a legitimately entertaining film. Um, I think they're both more interesting than the sci-fi work. But I do think we need to watch this in order to sort of understand Bayhem slash Bay's World, however you want to describe it. Bay's World. Yes, Bay's World. Because, like, this is part of the sort of evolution of how he, you know, of how he makes films. And I'm not sure it's a great evolution, but it's an evolution. And I think it's worth talking about because he has had such an outsized influence on our culture, right? Like he's created a kind of movie. Like he's one of the creators of a kind of movie that you and I both like. Right. Like we like big, dumb movies. Yes. I still, I love Armageddon. I will. Every big, dumb movie since Armageddon has some Armageddon DNA in it. You know, like it is, it is a foundational thing. (laughs) Including this one, which self-referentially, you know, references Armageddon. Yep. Yeah. That is true. That is true. And it is also true that some of these are not good movies. And every single one of them, I believe we have 
told people listening you don't have to watch (laughs) yeah so how do i put this gently you know will this podcast ruin the viewing experience for you and the the most gentle way i could answer that is the screenwriters roberto orci and alex kurtzman got there way ahead of you to ruin it so no there is nothing we can can say or do in this podcast that i think would ruin the experience and in fact I think we can only make it more enjoyable. I think that's true. That's, yes. I think if you listen to the podcast and then watch the movie, you will find it more bearable. <laughs> now, why would you want to do that? I don't know. You're a completist. It's also... You have some chores to do. It's also... I want to be clear. It's not a good movie. It's it's not without its... There are a few things that are enjoyable. Don't use it. the word charm. Don't use the word charms. I, I did not do that. <laughs> but there are things... Like, again, Michael Bay really knows how to... like do a gorge frame a gorgeous shot like a lot of things mm-hmm. are very pretty in this film you know so literally it's 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 a classic laundry film like you can mute this just you know see the pretty images and cold yeah. laundry yeah just one way to it, it has some of the best robots doing kung fu <laughs> uh, of any film it, in the it is an oscar nominated film actually i believe that is true yeah. for special yep, effects there you go this brings us to the next question, which is what previous experience we have had. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I saw it, but it seemed so familiar. <laughs> and I wonder if that is just because like every, you know, like it is so predictable yeah. and like uninteresting in its plot. Mm-hmm. I knew John Turturro was coming, but he's in the other movies too. Yeah, I, right? I, I know he's at least in one of the sequels, probably two or three. So I wondered, I'm like, and I knew the Hoover, but I knew the Hoover Dam was going to be in there, but did I read that somewhere? <laughs> this is not quite a Mercury movie, mm-hmm. you know, that slides over your brain without making any impression at all because it's so loud and noisy. Now, but at the same time, it has the ways that it's loud and noisy are like so many other movies. It's, you may see it and not remember that you saw it <laughs> or you this may particular or you noise. may confuse it you may be thinking you're watching yes that's what i mean G.I. Joe, that's what the rise I mean, of yes. cobra or like some other michael bay film or whatever you know yeah, it's yeah. Not and you just in their head they're all just shiny things fighting each other yes, agreed so so what about you I, so i will confess i was at least when the movie was originally being released i was intrigued because i actually did watch this cartoon when i was a kid you know this started off as it would start off as obviously a bunch of toys by hasbro it then became an animated series in the 1980s and then it got made into a uh, uh 1986 animated film which i believe was orson wells's last film credit oh wow he was yes so you know we might have to do that at some point but nonetheless <laughs> i was probably too old to watch any of that anyway i think in the end i rented this film probably like back in the days when you could still do that and yeah, like you, it occasionally comes across on cable. But, like, I don't... This is not a movie I stop and watch, is the way I would put it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anna, did you ever watch the animated show as a kid, by the way? I vaguely remember that. Okay. I'm a little surprised at myself that I wasn't more into mm-hmm. it, because I do love gadgets. Yeah. And I like, I like, I like the idea of things transforming. Mm-hmm. And I love... And that's... Some of the best stuff in this movie yeah. are the shots of the Transformers transforming. Yes. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's yeah. like really well done. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk more about it because it's technically interesting as well. But I never got into it. Like I was, I liked uh, He-Man ah, okay. and She-Ra. Okay. Those were, those were more my speed. And I'm trying to think of my other favorite like cartoons in the morning. I was a big Scooby-Doo fan. <laughs> big Scooby-Doo fan. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, no, no, no. I remember like where my interest, where my 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 first mystery stories. Oh, my first, my, the, yeah. I see. That's fascinating. Okay. No, it's not. It's not <laughs> because I. At some point, we're gonna have to do like a what we watch Saturday morning because like I was a Super Friends fan. Oh, that's true. Uh, oh, I love Super Friends. I too. did love Super Friends, yeah. and like by the way, do you know you can watch all the Super Friends now on HBO Max? They've like actually got them available. I don't know if I. That, I'm scared. Oh no, they're really bad. But like, it's actually like fun to re- oh. like. There were things that I remembered. Like, how did this play out again? And like, I watched it. And I just sort of laughed. It's just in some okay. Ways, so my my childhood viewing experiences are fascinating. Yes. Let's settle. We'll get to that. Let's do the story behind the story now. Um, Anna, we've talked a lot during <laughs> April. Walking toward you about Michael Bay's love of pl- product placement, and that is all over this film. Without question. But am I correct in remembering that in General Motors, 
they met an equally enthusiastic corporate partner? Did you notice that all the Autobots are GM vehicles, Dan? Yes. It, Did you notice It was that? not hard to pick up. Like, the GMC, <laughs> I want to know what percentage of screen time had either GMC or the Chevy Camaro that that is Bumblebee, like, on screen. Because there was a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yes. Like, it is basically a corporate partner. Right. In IMDb and in various articles, mm -hmm. it it has it that this partnership saved, quote unquote, saved the movie $3 million. Mm -hmm. I am unconvinced that's a good way to measure <laughs> whatever happened here. Okay. It might be just invaluable. <laughs> and also, I don't know if you can call it even a partnership if the DNA is already so intertwined. Right. Like, it's, I mean, Bay is a commercial maker. Yeah. yeah. Like, that is what he. That is what his movies are. Are are commercials with action in them. <laughs> yes. And sometimes the action is good, and sometimes the commercial part is better. You know, we've talked about sometimes the commercial part is better. In Armageddon, some of the best scenes are the ones that look like Miller Genuine Draft yeah. ads. You know, so. I, I it, yes, there's just and I started taking notes, and it got too much. Right. Like I was like, okay, Panasonic, Cisco, HP ebay burger king ebay yeah. and then it was like i can't keep up with this like just, i gotta i'm not gonna lie on it like you we, we talk occasionally about date I'm, I'm aware that there are dating apps out there i kind of wonder if michael bay has created his own app for like product placements like you know you like you know like in other <laughs> words he's he's out there and then like there's the the pro the companies like can they met they can they link up or something like oh there are people that do oh that, i know man. but like i'm thinking is he reduced okay. it to a single app because like i can just imagine oh. gm like swiping right and like that's the end of it as far as we're concerned yeah I somehow believe it's like, I mean, he's already polyamorous. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Michael, there's no need to do the dating. He's like already. You have reached the corporate orgy of... account, please. <laughs> that is a good way to describe my <laughs> filmmaking. <laughs> and like mini orgies, actually not as good as you yeah, think. Yeah. Like not actually not as exciting to watch as you right, would think. Sounds... I mean, not that I've seen a not that I've seen a real live orgy, know, but I've seen enough. But, but I, I'm you sure know. it's one of those things that seems like in theory spectacular and in practice just really, really sweaty and grubby. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever seen the Party Down episode about the orgy? No, it's no, one of the I best party. Not, oh God! Oh, that's right. You haven't seen Party okay. Down. All right. We'll just we're not going to stop the podcast for you to watch it. We're just going to continue. <laughs> okay. Do you have any more questions about the making of, of this? Um, yes, I do. We talk a lot about Bay being, for better or worse, a master of his craft, such as it is. I'm betting there's a technical side to the making of this movie that is somehow impressive. There oh, is. Okay, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yep. Which has been true for the other movies Absolutely. as well. Yeah, yeah. He, he is considered kind of a technical genius mm -hmm. at, at what he does. And much as with we discussed with the island, even though he appears to be an asshole, <laughs> <laughs> people keep working with him and it's not just for the money. Right. He works with the same special effects people over and over and over. He started work at Lucasfilms. He loves that part mm. of it. And in this movie, he did something he and the, the special effects folks did something that's never been done before in in, in cgi which is they started with cgi mm -hmm. they started with the modeling of the transformers right. in the volume space mm -hmm. and then made the models and that's not usually how it oh, works right normally you normally you'd start with the actual models and then you convert it to normally CGI. you'd go to like your creature yeah, department yeah. and you'd be like could you make a alien right. and then they you do know, the CGI, and, they cgi it yeah Oh, that's interesting. Okay. And this this was done backwards, and it it was like it took huge amounts of time to like the rendering mm -hmm. like took amazing amounts of time. Like they had to invent different ways to do things, mm -hmm. and this is also this is the first movie, according to Michael Bay, mm -hmm. the first movie to have shiny metal FX. <laughs> That's the rare B-side to shiny, happy people from R.E.M., by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that you have, like, this much CGI mm -hmm. of, a, of a creature, you know, character, whatever, mm -hmm. that is all shine. Okay. Because as people may know, that is one of the hardest things to do. And that's what makes CGI look real. Right. Is, is, is the lighting. Is yeah. often, is the lighting. Yeah. There's a really good Vox explainer about how that works and how that works today. Okay. 
and why they use mirror balls and how that works. And there's a reference to it in Nope. <laughs> so it's interesting to go back and read. Like I read an article in American Cinematographer about the island and I found articles in trade publications like FX trade publications <laughs> Wow. <laughs> about okay. This mm-hmm. and it like some folks that work in FX consider it to still be some of the best special effects ever done. Huh. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Um, yeah. And it's really funny to read these articles because there is clear enthusiasm mm-hmm. from these, and they are mostly guys. Yes. Guys. Yeah. And there's one one gentleman who's worked with Michael Bay for the past like 30 years. Oh, wow. Okay. And he he's clearly like loves what he does yeah. and b- finds it incredibly fulfilling. Mm-hmm. But sort of s- sandwiched in between there, mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> sort of hints about what it might be like. <laughs> hints that Michael Bay is not all sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. So uh, this is just an example. Um, interviewing one of the special effects folks for for this movie. Michael's a very, very particular person when it comes to Jaeger trails off. <laughs> this is a man who shot many a car commercial, so he's very particular on the finishes and the materials, <laughs> as well as the robots. <laughs> okay, and that man... It's the trails off that really makes that, but... <laughs> I assume if you say 30 years, he kept his job, so mission accomplished by Jaeger is all I can say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, uh, that is probably more than people wanted to know, but I find the technical part fascinating. He also sometimes gets um, camera operator cr- credit oh, on movies, including this mm-hmm. one, because he's down there. Like, well, it's like him and Soderbergh. I mean, that's what they have in do, common. Doing the work. Yeah. I mean, Steven Soderbergh does he the same thing. He just makes yeah. much shitty, shittier movies. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, again, like, you know, Armageddon was really good. The island was not uninteresting. Yeah. You know, yeah. I get, in some ways, the thing that I'm fascinated by is that this wound up being the franchise that in some ways has sort of trapped is not quite the right word, but like it's occupied a great deal of his time. And I, I think actually the opportunity costs have been really high. I think so too. And I shouldn't say shitty movies because that's actually what I'm, what I just finished talking about is they are not, no, they're not. He's yeah. like, they are technically mm-hmm. incredibly good. Movies. Yes. As viewing just, experiences, not, they leave something yes. to be desired. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. I have one thing to yes. add. Because I think it's, I think it might be an interesting piece of context to the rest of our discussion, okay. which is that Michael Bay has referred to this movie as his first "quote unquote" family. <laughs> Dan, do you want to take a guess at how many kids Michael Bay has? I'm gonna go with just legitimate or illegitimate. Uh, I'm gonna go with zero. <laughs> Yeah, that's yep, right. And he's go. not married. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That, that all tracks. <laughs> yep. Yep. I am no kids and right. not married, and I thought that was hilarious. You, you knew that was probably not an accident. And I hate children, yes, exactly. famously. Well-known fact, listeners, yes. <laughs> and I would not expose children, I, and I would not expose them to this, mm-hmm. unless they really wanted yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, in which case. In which case, you, you know. do. It is made for children. It's See, it's both made for children and yet something you would not want a child to watch. <laughs> Yeah, correct. Moving on. Yes, let's get to Chekhov's What's It. This is the uh, thing that often appears in Act 1 of the film that then plays a role in Act 3. This was not easy in this case, Anna. Uh, I had to go with Chekhov's banal motto, uh, which is the motto that Sam Witwicky's great-great-grandfather, Captain Archibald (laughs) Witwicky, says, no sacrifice, no victory, which... I don't know. It doesn't really have anything to do with this film, to be honest, but like it just recurs every once in a while. I was going to say that this is a weird movie because it just sort of thrashes forward in plot <laughs> with not a lot of tension paid to what happened like the second before. Yeah. So there's just like no checkoffs anything yeah. because it's just like barreling towards the next thing. I, I did check off the juvenile criminal record, oh. maybe. Sort of. I guess that kind but, of works, yeah. I mean, like, you know, but, and there is a literal gun. There is, they also, there are literal guns on the wall. That's true. <laughs> but it happens in the same yeah, scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think the way, to, in terms of the yeah. plot, part of the problem is that there's so much plot, weirdly, that if you actually isolate each strand of it, it makes no sense whatsoever. But because it's like this smorgasbord, you almost forget, oh yeah, right, 
you, it, you, it's it's the mercury effect. You forget what had happened previously, I think. Well, like, it just barrel, it's just like, yeah, yeah. you know, it doesn't give you time to think about, like, I, so I think I have seen this movie. <laughs> but what I thought about when I was watching it this time was, like, I don't have time to take notes on what doesn't make sense. <laughs> If I start stopping this movie to write down a question that I have, which I don't usually stop to, but if sometimes I do, sometimes I'm like, oh, I got to get this out, you know, I will never stop watching this movie. (sighs) I stopped a bunch of times. Well, speaking of, speaking of writing things down, Dan, you do the hardest job of the (laughs) podcast. For this film, that is true. Not that's not always true, but for this film, yeah, I'm going to say it was true. You wrote down the plot. I did. So let's go through it. All right, let's start with Act One, Horny Teens and Special Teams. Our film starts on two tracks, Anna. First, a military unit is being deployed to the Sauxent military base in Gutter. A mysterious helicopter lands and, what's the best word to use here, transforms into a fighting robot that wreaks havoc across the base. It tries to hack into the U.S. military network, but the hard line is cut just in time. Our intrepid, handsome crew escapes into the desert. The Pentagon is so worried about the security breach that they bring in outside hackers, even a hot Aussie girl named Maggie, to help them figure out attribution. Soon after, Air Force One is the subject of a more successful attack by a smaller transforming robot named Frenzy, I think, that seems to have found what it was looking for. And what was it looking for? It was looking for one Sam Witwicky, aka Ladies Man 217 on eBay. He's just your typical nebbishy high school kid trying to hawk his grandfather's prized possessions, including his old eyeglasses, so he can buy a car. His father takes him to a used car lot and a rusted out 1976 Camaro that seems to be following the Woodwickies poses as a car for sale, after which Sam chooses it. He drives the car to a lake party and tries to impress his crush Michaela. After seeing her get annoyed with her boyfriend and storm off, Sam ditches his friend and offers her a ride. They bond a little over the car. Later that night, the car seems to drive away on its own accord. Sam follows it on his bike, a thing that could totally happen. A bike could totally go as quickly as a Camaro. And sees the Camaro turn into a 20-foot-tall robot named Bumblebee. Anna, as I said, I actually did enjoy some parts of this film. None of this first part, to be clear. But for me, a big problem with it is that almost none of the protagonists are interesting at all. Okay, Josh F., one of the uh, contributors to our Discord, was correct that the, you know, Transformers cartoon was almost all about the Transformers, nothing about the humans. There are very few human characters. The entire first half of this film is just mostly humans. And really, like, I have nothing against Josh Duhamel or Tyrese Gibson or Rachel Taylor or Megan Fox. They're all extremely hot. They're very good looking. They are good looking in this film. Otherwise, their characters don't really register. I mean, it's, it's not like they're they're bad in it it's just like they're not given much to do they're just all surface literally and then we get to sam played by shia labeouf who is a total douchebag like there's no other way to put it based on the first part of this film he isn't very bright yeah he really seems to think that he'll be able to sell his (laughs) eyeglass like broken eyeglasses that are old for money i don't i see yeah i I knew you were gonna say something that as as someone who does some collecting of various things that wasn't far-fetched okay but like it was gonna get carbon i mean you know that just seemed the the idea that this was also but the the idea that he would get two thousand dollars to buy that was weird like it seemed like a weird choice like it was a weird setup like why not just make him not have a lot of money like that was much simpler and to do and that he has to get a cheap car like instead it's this whole I guess they thought they're giving like elegant exposition. I it was know. not elegant, like, and that's and that's the thing about this whole movie. And also, they redo the exposition. Yes. Oh, so many times, <laughs> Jesus Christ! You know. And then, furthermore, once he gets the car again, oh, this is the worst. Yeah. He ditches his best friend Miles. Miles was robbed in this film. Like he's only in two scenes, but we're supposed to believe this is like Sam's best friend. Suddenly, he sees he's got a shot at Michaela. Ditches Miles. It's just a total dick move. Now, admittedly, Anna, as a former teenage boy. If someone who looks like, you know, Megan Fox is on her own, I might have done the same, but it's a still a dick move. Like I there is And is is wearing a belt as a skirt, yes. apparently. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 
<laughs> she does look extremely good. Wearing a, wearing a very wide belt. Yep. Yeah, that is not <laughs> a long skirt. skirt. Uh, that's a that's a safe way to put it. She can't get in and out of that car without mm-hmm. things being revealed. Getting some yeah, fresh air. Yeah, exactly. But uh, you know. <laughs> It, it, anyway, the point, I, I okay, no, go yeah. ahead. Like the point is, like none of the characters are terribly interesting or likable. No, the, the the characters are not interesting or likable. And I think Shia LaBeouf has the he's he has some natural charisma, sure. and that's the only reason why the character is like worth looking at at all. Like it's just the actor playing him. It's why he happens to you know what it is. He's the only one who for whom it, he might be more than meets the eye. Okay. <laughs> Everyone else in this film, well, not, with a few other exceptions, but like I did like that he loves his dog. Like he, the dog, okay. he like yeah, cares know. about his okay, dog. Fair enough. That is actually, I mean, it's a cl- cliche to make a character to give a character depth to have like them the dog. Yeah. save the dog, yeah. save the cat, or yeah. whatever. But it is kind of a nice beat, mm-hmm. you know. Like I, he loves Mojo, Mojo, Mojo the Chihuahua, and I, but on the subject of Michaela, yes, <laughs> I believe. That her interest in Sam mm-hmm. is the most implausible thing <laughs> in this movie about shape-shifting robots from space. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It doesn't track at all. No. Yep. I, I mean, especially if they're in high school. Mm-hmm. Like, she... I mean, talk about more than meets the eye. <laughs> and again, this was the, the this was the also she's and also he asked her the perfectly good question. If you don't like the guy, why are you with right. him? Like she's with the hot football yeah, yeah. dude who's not like yeah, whatever. Yeah. And she's like, I don't know, you know, like I guess he's hot, but we don't get any sense of like why she would be interested in a guy who also looks. It's not that that Megan Fox looks old, but she looks like she's in her twenties. <laughs> And Shia LaBeouf looks like he could conceivably be in high school. And it does not, it's it's a very weird, like, she's, like, full-on make. She looks like she's good, ready to go to, like, Coyote. No, she's camera ready. You know? she, looks like, like, she looks like a supermodel. Yeah. There's no other way to put it. Like, yeah, and yeah. he looks like a high school yes. student. Like, he's wearing a Strokes right. t-shirt. <laughs> I don't know if that counts as product placement. I guess it does. It probably does. A little does. bit. Probably but, like, does. the point is, is, again, like, I... I agree with you. Like, the problem is, is that, like, if Sam was, like, really intelligent or, I don't know, demonstrated actually a decent sense of humor or some other quality that would make him appealing, I would get it. But, like, he actually doesn't. He really doesn't whenever he's in front of Michaela. He's just, like, you know, he he's like the Anthony Michael Hall character in Sixteen Candles. Except Anthony Michael Hall, like, turns out, well, also, you he's like the Anthony Michael Hall character in Sixteen Candles before you find out that he's a decent exactly. human. Exactly. That's a good way of putting it. Yes. It's just, it's when he's just being an annoying, like, 16-year-old or whatever. And I don't, like I said, Megan Fox being interested in Sam is the the (laughs) most implausible thing. So I don't want to get too hijacked here. (laughs) Maybe I just shouldn't even finish that sentence. Uh, Because I was going to start to be like, why did Bumblebee find Sam now? Why did, why, how did Bumblebee come to Uh, Earth? It's worse than that. It's not, well, to be fair, there is a prequel. Which is actually a pretty decent but, film. But, no, but the, yeah. but I, w- I, I actually went on Reddit to try and find out. <laughs> oh, you did the work here, Otta. No, it's it's worse than that. It's not just why the Autobots suddenly discover Sam. It's also, it's never clear why the Decepticons do either. We don't know why the Decepticons, yeah. we don't know why the Decepticons suddenly appear in Gutter or why they're on Air Force One. Like, what tipped them off about anything? When did they arrive on Earth? None of that is explained. Yeah, you're right. You're yeah, right. Yeah, that's, that, is, that is even the, the worst part yeah. of it. I do think the helicopter Decepticons really cool. Yeah. Looking. I mean, like they're cool looking. They're all really cool looking. And the other thing that's that again, we'll not get into too much mm-hmm. implausibility factors here. But you must have laughed at the room full of outside hackers. Oh sure. And he, like, <laughs> Actually, no. You know what it was? We've had a terrible security breach. <laughs> so what we're gonna do is preempt. Let this way. Actually, the only thing I would. Uh, I was briefly disarmed because they actually do reference the NSA in that thing. And yeah. I thought, okay, so it's one step better than the core. Fine. I, 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 like, you know, that was my, my reaction to that. But yes, like, it's just... It was bad security breach. So let's bring in, let's bring in the outside hackers. Yep. Okay, let's press on. <laughs> it's never, it also is never even really explained. Like, whatever. Yeah. Like, it... We've got to press on because otherwise we this will be as on. long as the film. Let's get to act two, Robots in Disguise. Maggie takes the code to Glenn, a hacker friend of hers, and the Pentagon understandably snaps up both of them for interrogation. 
The military guys are rescued after another encounter with a Transformer, and they figure out that high-temperature Sabo rounds can work against the robots. Back in L.A., Bumblebee returns, freaking out Sam and causing him to flee on his mom's bike. Bumblebee pursues him with a cop car behaving as strangely as the Camaro, also in pursuit. Michaela, seeing Sam behaving weirdly, follows along on her scooter, because sure, okay. They both see cars transform into giant alien robots and fight each other. Bumblebee wins and persuades Sam and Michaela to get in. Frenzy hides away in Michaela's purse. Bumblebee takes them to meet the other Autobots. Optimus Prime, Jazz, Ironhide, and Ratchet. Optimus exposits, and this is the second long exposition scene, that they're from the planet Cybertron, a formerly powerful empire, peaceful and just. I'm going to break that down later, Anna, just to be clear. <laughs> that was torn apart by the Decepticons. Uh, the Decepticons leader, Megatron, crash-landed on Earth in pursuit of the AllSpark, a device that can turn machines into sentient beings. Sam's great-great-grandfather led a team of explorers to the Arctic and accidentally discovered Megatron. I'm going to quote from Wikipedia here, Anna, because I don't want anyone to claim that I believed this. Quote, Captain Witwicky accidentally activated Megatron's navigational system, causing his eyeglasses to be imprinted with the coordinates of the AllSpark's location. Sure. Okay. Which would, which is the Hoover Dam? Any, yes, yeah, but, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, all right. Anywho, Optimus asked Sam for the glasses. Anna, we, we talked about the art of blending CGI and real effects on film. And I will say this strikes me as an example where the CGI, as you say, is supposed to be legendary, but it also overwhelms everything else. I don't think the Transformers are terribly interesting, actually. And Jazz and Ironhide seem to be walking advertisements for the dangers of large language models for AI. <laughs> Am I wrong here? You know, like the problem is, is that none of the Transformers outside of Optimus have much or in Bumblebee have a much of a personality. Yeah, I, I think the mistake you're making okay. here yes. is thinking of the Transformers as part of the special effects. Mm. They are actually the stars of the movie. Fair enough. Which it, it, it... They are supposed to overwhelm everything ah, else. Okay. I, I mean, I'm not being serious, but I am being serious. Yeah. One thing I wrote in my notes was that they, in this movie, shoots the military, the hardware scenes, mm -hmm. more lovingly than he shoots the humans. <laughs> I'm going to accept like, Megan there Fox is there, a but more, yeah, sure, okay. Yeah, I, I, I even kind of thought, like, the way, like, the way, the cliche ways that we have of telegraphing, like, sexual interest in a human body mm -hmm. in movies, which is, like, the slow right. pan. Which we see with Megan Fox um, when she's in that very infamous he does that. Yeah. He does that with the vehicles, yeah, that's true. too. And the military yeah, equipment. that's fair. I mean, seriously. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's all very loving. And I think that... No one involved in the making of this film was thinking about, <laughs> you know, like the humans are actually the 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 ancillary part of. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, it's even true in the plot, right? right? But in some and, ways, and they they added the humans. It, it's weird that they added the humans. At it's all. weird that they added so much plot. Also, like like the, the, the thing that I described, like why the Witwickies are are important. Like it's just this incredibly convoluted plot, and it gets even more convoluted. They, and that is the part of the plot that they didn't add. I, I could have mentioned this in the, in the how did oh. they, you know, how did this get made part of our, the story behind the story. How did it get made? Different podcast, great podcast. <laughs> also did a Transformers. Mm -hmm. The Witwicky part is in the Transformers lore. It is, yes. There are human characters called the Witwickies, but like the... Right. And, and the the idea that there was a Cybertron and the, the Decepticons and Autobots fighting each other, that's absolutely true. The whole... What they added was all the military was like the military stuff. Well, also the like the eyeglasses right? and the stuff like that, like the role of his yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so they added they they what they mishmashed together was Michael Bay wanted to do a movie about cool machines, yeah. <laughs> and the plot that they had mm -hmm. did not have enough cool machines. So they added the cool machines, and which means they had to bring in the military. So they added much more cool machines. So I, I, I it's it's funny too because if they'd really gone with the original Transformers. They would have had nothing but cool machines. Right, exactly. They didn't need that many humans. And that, again, part so, of the weird thing about this film is that the machines don't really show up until about halfway through. So the first half of the film is stuck on the human characters who aren't very interesting. And then they pivot to the robot characters who are, again, maybe pretty to look at, but not very interesting, I think. Who are also not very interesting. But they. But I would disagree about 
how interesting they are to watch. Okay. Like, I thought their fight scenes were pretty cool. Okay. And I'm not, like, a huge fight yeah, scene yeah. fan, but when you see... they Because they do do kung fu, yeah, yeah. right? Like, they do Matrix-style fighting with each other. I, I will and say this. I That's yeah. cool to watch. Yeah, that's fair. I did like the... La- I mean, the, the fight in Mission City, which we'll get to in a second, I actually kind of enjoyed parts of that. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. All right, yeah. let's get to that. Let's get to Act 3. You thought there was enough exposition? Oh, no, way more exposition. Hijinks ensue when the Autobots and Michaela try to hide from Sam's parents while he searches for the eyeglasses. Just as Sam finds those eyeglasses, and just as Sam's folks are delighted to learn that he has a hot girl in his room, Sector 7 shows up. They know about the Transformers and take everyone into custody. The Autobots ain't having it, however, freeing Sam and Michaela. The rest of Sector 7 converges on their location, recapturing Sam and Michaela and taking Bumblebee as well. The eyeglasses are left behind in the melee, allowing Optimus and the Autobots to locate the AllSpark. A Decepticon virus causes worldwide communications to shut down, freaking out the Pentagon. Sector 7 shows up there as well, under direct orders from the President to inform Secretary of Defense Keller about the existence of alien robots. Keller orders Maggie, Glenn, and the Gutter Unit to converge on the Hoover Dam, home of Sector 7, Anna. Their leader, Banachek, explains that they found the AllSpark there a century earlier. They moved Megatron to that location as well after Witwicky discovered him and have kept him on ice. President Hoover ordered the dam built to conceal the energy emitted by the AllSpark. All right, Anna, what did you think about the hijinks at Sam's house? I think they're a little cringy, but at the same time, I actually was entertained because I actually think the best performances in this film are from Kevin Dunn and Julie White as Sam's parents. They're just legitimately entertaining in that scene. And then also I actually thought was Megan Fox's best moment when they're coming down and Megan Fox says, your mom is so nice. That was actually a legitimately funny line. And she, and she sells that. Mm-hmm. And it could be because maybe they're the only ones in the film who don't have to exposit anything. But like they're actually acting and like they're real characters. I like them the best. Yeah. I I was going to say earlier the thing about the uh, how most of the protagonists aren't worth even watching that does present a pretty blank canvas for the few characters that are fun to watch which includes Totoro, right having a blast he has a blast i was just crazy about the Totoro character i gotta say Uh, he's not he's not one of his best roles but like he's he's having a good time i do think the parents and i think the cop like who arrests oh yeah he's in it for like five (laughs) minutes it's like a it's like a it's five second scene and it is the funniest i think it's one oh no he's really good yeah i agree that's that's fair Yeah. yeah And this whole scene, I can't believe you're right. It is a it is a whole plot thing. It lasts forever. <laughs> like, and and it, it was infuriating. It could, it could have been kind of a nice set yeah. piece, you know, to have the Autobots right. hiding. It goes on forever. They're hiding forever. No one can see them. <laughs> How big are they? They're pretty big. And, and that actually kept bothering yeah. me too. How big are they really? Because like Optimus Prime picks up the glasses. If they're like twenty five feet tall, like how could his his hands he, are too big? Yeah, I don't, that's a problem. I, I they're huge and they don't do more damage to the backyard, mm-hmm. and they just keep hiding. It just keeps being like this like bedroom farce that with one yeah. joke. It's the auto it's the Autobots yeah. hiding. Yeah, and I feel like they had one good idea for a scene. Mm-hmm. And then turned it into 20 minutes of the movie. I think that's a good way of putting it. Like, there, again, the scene is not without its charms, but, like, you could have cut it down. It would have, like, it would have made things much better. I agree. Yeah. All right. Let's close out on a Act 4. Let's blow up a whole city. Uh, Frenzy sabotages the power in Sector 7, which means that Megatron is going to defrost real fast. Sam convinces Sector 7 to release Bumblebee. He turns the AllSpark into a personal item you could carry on a plane. The military dudes suggest bringing the AllSpark to nearby Mission City for Air Force extraction, thereby keeping it away from Megatron. The Autobots join the protective convoy. Megatron and the Decepticons assemble and attack in Mission City. Urban battle, Anna! Lots of glass breaks. Lots of Argent alien robots are destroyed. Presumably dozens, if not hundreds, of civilian casualties exist in this family-friendly film, Anna. <laughs> Optimus and Megatron battle, but eventually Sam releases the AllSpark into Megatron's chest, thereby killing Megatron and destroying the AllSpark. The U.S. government decommissions Sector 7 and dumps the dead Transformers into the Laurentian Abyssal in a nice Hunt for Red October callback. As Sam and Michaela make out on top of Bumblebee, which is weird given that Michaela didn't want to sit in the driver's seat before, but apparently totally okay making out with Sam on top of a sentient car. It's, it's, it's like 
The I oh I it's like if you what if your mattress was right, alive? Exactly. Yes. Like, would you have sex on a mattress that could think I, that could tell you what it was? I what, just I, no, I would not. <laughs> I don't think so. Okay, I don't need to get into what that yes. would be like because no, the first part yeah. of that. No. no. So like that is all very weird. I don't care if you're. And then. And then. And then Optimus Prime, standing about fifty feet away, narrates that with the Allspark's destruction, Cybertron cannot be restored, so they'll stay on Earth and protect the humans and apparently watch them make out. He sends a signal yeah. to all other surviving Autobots, directing them to Earth, and I'm sure nothing else happens in this universe ever again, Anna. There are no sequels. That's it. <laughs> That's just, it was such a weird ending. And I'm like, I don't care if you're playing Linkin Park over this. It's not working. Yeah. All right. Now. uh, The Linkin Park didn't work either. (laughs) Also, like, if you actually listen to what Optimus Prime says, it's like this, like, fate yields its own reward or something. I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? I'm just like, sorry. Fate yields. I think he says that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Fate yields its own reward. That's. It's one of those sentences that, like, again, I. If I didn't know that ChatGPT didn't it, exist, then I would. I was gonna say that is totally like ChatGPT. Come up with some. Come up with some things that sound philosophical, exactly. but yeah, aren't. exactly. All right, now it does seem like a good time to talk about Michael Bay's how to put this gently shifting attitude towards the U.S. government. Armageddon is pretty raw, raw on that point, but. A decade later, this is definitely more mixed. He still obviously valorizes the soldiers, but he also throws in a fair amount of conspiracy theory as well as some bumbling authority figures, both in the form... They're the comic relief, both the cop and John Turturro's character. Maybe this is his populist streak showing? Uh, (laughs) Depends on how you define populist. I guess, like, if you think Trump is a populist, sure. You know? I would say he doesn't love the military. He loves weapons mm. and violence mm-hmm. and also wants to be the good guy. Well, sure. And the and the only way you get to do that in American films is if you're in the military, if, is, is if you represent the military, mm. right? Like you have to have the, the in the language, you know, in the moral language, at least up until now, who the fuck knows how things are going to change. But in the current moral language of cinema, if you want to do real violence and have like a lot of weapons, you need to have some kind of governmental authority behind you <laughs> to make it okay in the eyes of the Fair viewer, enough. Yeah, right? that's true. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what is happening. It's just like it, it proceeds from I want to have cool stuff. And in fact, I, I didn't get into this, but uh, some of this movie comes from the fact that Michael Bay was like seeing this tech mm-hmm. And like the opening with the helicopters yeah. that that have the twisty rotor wings right. that can be either like they were supposed to be something mm-hmm. else, and he saw those and was like, "We're gonna get used to those," you know. <laughs> and of course, the DoD was fully cooperative in the making of I'm this sure, yeah. and gave them all kinds of fun stuff to use. Like apparently, like some of the uniforms in there, like some of their like spiffy yeah. new uniforms. Although Dan, I know you noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the military stuff. We but we both said military. Yes, a lot. there's a reason why I had to say military <laughs> and not provide any more specificity on that. Yep. There's this he, for, and that's another sign that he really is not that interested. That's fair. You yeah, know? I might be ascribing. Like, too much he doesn't thought. really care how it works. Mm-hmm. Like it's just so he's just going to pe- throw people from a bunch of different you know pieces of the of a bunch of different branches together. Don't buy, why explain? Yeah. Dan, I have more to say. Anna, you always have more to say, and I admire you for this. Keep What, what do you have to say? <laughs> Is the real romance in this movie between the boy and his car? I mean, Bernie Mac says that at, like, the very beginning, too, if memory serves. Which, right. by the way, it was nice to see and Bernie Mac in this film. It's like a nice, again. Yes, R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. I was only there for yeah. five minutes. He's good. Yeah. Yeah, he's very good. Because there's a scene where they, well, there's a very confusing kind of thing where they're like, they're first they're going to leave and Bumblebee's going to stay behind, but then they all have to stay. I don't. It was I, extremely I really confusing. Remember. Yes, it. But there is a, a look exchanged yeah. between Bumblebee and Sam that is freighted. I would say, okay, actually, this might be. <laughs> in all seriousness, it's Shia LaBeouf's probably it's his best acting moment because in a way that he doesn't really yeah. connect with Michaela, he connects with Bump. Yeah. he connects with Bumblebee. That's that's a fair way of putting it. Yeah. 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 All right. All right, Dan. We got to we got to get to the more serious questions that we might have about okay. this film. And the very first one yes. is this. 
Is there IR in it? Anna, I have and I can do whatever I want and get away with it badge. And I really want to use it right now to not talk about the IR in this film. <laughs> but I love you. And I love, you know, our Space the Nation patrons too much to abuse my power. So I actually thought real hard about it and realized there is some legit interesting IR in this film. Though I don't know how intentional it was. So the straightforward and, to be honest, not bad IR is the idea that if robot aliens did descend to Earth, the United States and every other major power would suspect other countries of taking actions that the aliens did. Indeed, it's worth noting that, you know, with the whole UAP issue, you know, Marco Rubio, who I don't agree with on a lot of things, but I understood why he said this. He said at one point about the UAPs, frankly, if it's something outside the planet, that might actually be better than the fact that we've seen some sort of technological leap from the Chinese or Russians or some other adversary that allows them to conduct this sort of activity. And again, props to Maggie, you know, for pointing out when like the military guys are saying, well, it's North Korea. Look at all them, like, the exercise increases. Maggie correctly says, well, maybe that's because you're doing the same thing. So well done there, mm. you know. The unintentionally interesting IR in this film is how the Transformers view humans and how that ties into post-colonial critiques. So the Decepticons are straight up racist. Let's just be clear about that. Megatron refers to Sam as a fleshling at one point, and I never want to hear that word used again. Um, so they're totally fine with colonizing Earth and, like, you know, turning machines into sentient beings and could care less about the humans. Now, the Autobots seem less imperial at first, but their rhetoric also reveals what we might call a robot supremacist view of the way the world works. Optimus Prime's telling of Transformer history describes Cybertron as, quote, a powerful empire, peaceful and just. Anna, those four words, you cannot reconcile. Like, there could be peaceful and just. <laughs> you can have a powerful empire. Combining those two, pretty tricky to pull off. Don't think it really works. And also... It's the just part that's the, that's the yes, problem. Yes, yes, definitely. Because really. you could have a peaceful, you could have a peaceful powerful empire. Perfectly empire. fine. But the just part is like, no, yeah. just and empire really don't mix very well. Just going to mm. point that out. Also, the, the conversation that the Autobots have at Griffith's Observatory is unintentionally hilarious. Because like, it's, like, it's like they're at a freshman philosophy seminar and like they're just sort of standing around. That was actually hysterical. Uh, but it's also revealing because they all talk about humans in extremely patronizing terms despite the fact that at least humans have avoided a world-befouling war. Like, their own history says they <laughs> fucked up their own planet, and they're here on Earth like, oh, these are so primitive. Yeah, you know what? We haven't fucked up our own planet quite just that badly yet. Well, We're coming yeah, close. I, was gonna I say. grant you that. But still, it's incredibly chauvinist. It reveals the sort of imperial mindset that even the Autobots have about the fleshlings. I... Good points, Thank Dan. You, These are good points. And I'm impressed. I, I And I love you, too. <laughs> Thank you. Way. And in fact, I, I have a question of you, Anna. Oh, yes, Dan, what is it? Is there a critique of capitalism in this film? Dan, what are you rolling? <laughs> Whippets? <Beat> balls? <laughs> a little wowie-zowie with the boys? <laughs> Dan, it's a Michael Bay yep. movie. And thus, such a celebration of capitalism that when I left the room to go get a snack, it started a lemonade stand in my bedroom <laughs> by the time I was back. <laughs> yep. There's a lot of capitalism in this film, and there is not much critique. Nope. I do think there's some interesting cultural stuff happening, and it is all about the post-colonial shit you just yeah. talked about. Dan, this is a parable of the Iraq War. <laughs> okay. Tell me more. This is it. Just it, it makes completely sense. It is about a benevolent occupation, mm -hmm. where the invaders are truly greeted as liberators. Oh, <laughs> also, yeah. Megatron is the twelfth imam. Is the what mom? Twelfth imam. Oh Christ! <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Anna. <sighs> Yep. It works. Okay. It totally works. I mean, the Shia Sunni, it's like a, it, who would be aligned with who? It's kind of flipped a little bit from recent history, yeah. but not so much if you go back, right? Mm -hmm. But if you consider like the Autobots are the US mm -hmm. and the Decepticons are um, 
terrorists, the terrorists. Yes. radical Islamic yeah, terrorists. I large, think was the phrase. Yeah, radical yeah. Islamic terrorists. Yeah. Like we're supposed to, like that is how the people we rescue are supposed to look to us. <laughs> is the same way the humans in this movie look to the Autobots. Look to the Autobots. Okay. Yeah, and also unintentionally revealing how the Autobots think of themselves is how we think of right, ourselves. Right, that's the parallel. Yes, the Autobots have a narrative that they're telling themselves about. You know they're still good for for justice and no denying they're better than decepticons but yes yeah they're like like yes much as we yeah. are also right. yep. <laughs> they're setting a low bar let's put it that way yeah yeah I, I, it is also true that apparently um they were thinking of the iraq war like w- when they went into this there there was going to be a gi joe mm-hmm. movie but instead they did this one there was a G.I. Joe movie I made, it, actually, like about a year or two after this. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. But that was going to be Michael Bay's oh, film. But I think, I, and I don't know if it was like, oh, let's do, a, let's do a movie about the Iraq War. I think it was more like, oh, look at desert fighting. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like, or something like that. Who knows? Actually, it's funny. In Wikipedia, where it says Don Murphy decided to do this movie and not the G.I. Joe one in part because of the Iraq War, there is no footnote. God damn it, Wikipedia. <laughs> I'm just going to believe, I just have chosen to believe I, that is Wikipedia true. is just printing the legend, Anna. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> it's Discordant Notes. Yes. Okay. Dan, you fetch things from the Discord and bring them I here. I did. I did. We have two questions this time that I thought were, were merited some important answers. Uh, so Dan Brennan asks, uh, which G1, which is Generation 1 Transformer, uh, do we wish had made it into the film? Anna, do you want to pass on this one? Because I don't know if you watched it. I have, yeah, yeah. I got no okay. idea. And no. for me, the answer is always Soundwave. Soundwave had the coolest voice in the original, you know, cartoon. Also, I don't know if you remember this. Soundwave used to have, it was, it was. I think it formed into a cassette player, actually. And he could eject the cassettes that then turned into the little robots like Frenzy and like an eagle oh. and, so on and so forth. It was always a cool Cool idea. I really like that. But I want to add here, Anna, that it was a bummer that Christopher Collins passed away in 1994. So they used um, the original voice uh, actor for Optimus Prime. I believe his name is Brett Cullen. He does the voice for Optimus Prime in the film. They used Hugo Weaving, who was not the original voice for uh, Megatron. But, but he's great. He's perfectly fine. Yeah. As usual. Um, but Christopher Collins was the voice of Starscream. And he also was the, it was the same voice he provided for Cobra Commander in the animated uh, G.I. Joe show. And let me just play a bit of it. Get on with the ceremony. My fellow Decepticons, as your new leader, I... Who disrupts my coronation? <laughs> it's a great voice, Anna. Like, and it's not in this film, but like, you know, I think it suffers as a result. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Josh F asks, which world leader would cut a deal with Megatron? Uh, oh, I mean, I yeah. Trump. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's it, obviously it, it Trump. Seems he would fucking yeah. love it. Like, he'd be like, "Oh, you're so you're shiny. You're so shiny." Everyone's talking you know, about the big man, strong man. Everyone's talking about the Decepticons. <laughs> everyone's talking about them. Big shiny things. I've met with them. They're great. They're great. I think yeah. I can cut a deal with them. We can get some cheap cars. You know what? We don't want them to make a deal with China. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. 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 Well, Dan, that is actually I'm going to mm-hmm. say a surprisingly good Trump <laughs> voice. Thank you. I don't think I've ever been able to do that before. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I would say it's relatively enough, good. Yeah. I did not. I can't do it at all. So I'm impressed when people can even do it a little bit. So the only thing I would add to this answer, off. I actually think this was an element of the plot of the third Transformer film. In the third Transformer film, I'm pretty sure Patrick Dempsey plays like some sleazebag who has cut a deal with the Decepticons. So, but I'm not going to watch the film to confirm that. So, but I think that's the answer. Oh, what's that? What's that? Falling from the heavens. This is way cooler. Way cooler than Armageddon. Is the debris? We are entering the debris yes. field. This is where we talk about the stuff that we haven't already gotten a chance to talk about. Dan, mm-hmm. what do you got? Okay, first of all, the reason we kept saying the military whenever we were talking about 
the military is that Bay is unbelievably sloppy, or the screenplay is unbelievably sloppy on this shit. First of all, at one point, the Secretary of Defense says they're a DEFCON Delta, which is not a thing, does not exist. DEFCON is like condition, you know, defense condition from five through one. So that, I don't know. <laughs> I noticed that too, actually. I'm not even like really up yeah. on this shit. And I was like, yeah. what? <laughs> Everyone in the military and the Defense Department mispronounces gutter it drives me around the fucking brand they keep saying qatar you know definitely they would have known how to pronounce it in fact on i believe that was a point made by the amazon yeah, prime folks it's a, it's a kind of hilarious like whiny little thing i shouldn't say whiny because it's right but it's yeah <laughs> it's like obviously it's very comic yeah, book yeah. guy obviously employees of the department of defense would know how to pronounce <laughs> it they, and, and also like the military unit since we're doing right. voices. The military unit isn't <laughs> a single branch. Like, I actually think Do- Josh Duhamel, yeah. I believe, is Air Force. I think Tyrese Gibson is Army or it, vice versa. I'm not entirely sure. It made no sense to me. And so, like, it, it, it yeah, whatever. Yeah. And they call it an Air Force strike. Right. No matter, yeah. like, anyway, it, it. you're right. I mean, I again, I even, I'm not even paying that close attention, but yeah, even I yeah. noticed. What about you, Anna? Um, so what do I have? I did laugh at the evil police car, which unintentionally yes. good commentary. Did you notice the motto? Right. Yes, I did to punish and yes, enslave. So, you know, AC, ACAB, Dan, ACAB. We did not mention that there is a, the specific Armageddon call out. We mentioned it, but it is uh, when the Autobots crash mm-hmm. to Earth, someone says, this is easily 100 times cooler than Armageddon, which is not a great reference because I was like, does he mean he could mean the actual end of the world? Yeah. Also, <laughs> let's just be very clear. It was not 100 times cooler than Armageddon. Um, yeah, no, yeah. it was not 100 times cooler than Armageddon. What else you got, Dan? I want to give a shout out to, I guess I'm calling them the Bay Bit Players. You know, some of the actors who oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, by the way, I looked up his name this time. Uh, Glenn Morshower. He yes, is, I yep, looked yep, it up too. He's, you know, he's in this. Uh, he's one of the first generals that you hear. Chris Ellis, who also, I think, a, another general, but like he played the mission control guy in Armageddon and the bartender in the island. Um, also, I will say Michael O'Neill, who plays Banachek. I think this is the first Michael Bay movie he's in, but he's also one of these actors. Like he was the head of Secret Service on the West Wing, and he's just a good, like, Great guy to play a government bureaucrat is the way to put it. Like, he's fine in this. And again, like we've talked before, I think Michael Bay films are much better when they have good actors. He's got bit actors in here. Bernie Mac is good. Anthony Anderson is pretty funny to the extent that he's in the film. But yeah, the, and Kevin Dunn and, and Julie White. But like, the problem is the leads were, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, the leads, the leads yeah, were, yeah. yeah. Okay, Dan, we, we mentioned the correction on the pronunciation yeah, of yeah. guitar, which is yeah. very comic book yeah, guy. Yeah, that's true. Right? Well, yeah. There is an even better correction oh, no. in the IMDb. Are you yep. ready? Sam's dog, Mojo, has a cast on his broken <laughs> leg made of plaster, which hasn't been in widespread use in the medical or veterinarian communities for more than a decade. According to the movie, this must also be a recent injury because Mojo is still requiring pain medication. Unfortunately, the portrayal of the injury is not accurate as we see no Elizabethan collar on Mojo. Animals recently injured, which require splints, cast surgeries, or stitches, would be discharged with a proportionally large plastic collar around their necks. This, of course, prevents the animal from biting, licking, tearing out the stitches, or just exacerbating the injury. At this point... Mojo should still be required to wear such a collar. Well, that is quite the the plot, you know, the plot contrivance, Anna. <laughs> Excuse me, Dan. Dan, you are you are in improv and you do Excuse voices. Excuse me, Michael Bay. I believe you have made a gigantic <laughs> error here. <laughs> I want to find that person, shake their hand. <laughs> You know, buy them a uh, energy drink. That seems like that that's that's what I imagine that person yeah, drinks. Totally I fair. know. Would still be wearing such a collar. <laughs> still yeah, be wearing true. such a collar. Good, good. Yeah. <laughs> good point. All right, are we getting to the end of our debris? We field are, then? I think. The only the thing is like and again, I'm just throwing this out there. It was that was quite the men in black sort of backfill on technology and the exposition dump, which is oh, it turns out hold on, the microchip 
lasers, spaceflight, cars, <laughs> all apparently reverse engineered from Megatron. Um, and I was like, I, at that point, I just sort of like, you know, threw my hands up in the air. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, whatever what you want to you want to say. You know, Dan, I have like probably 20 other small things <laughs> that all involve uh, what the outside hackers say to each yeah, other. Yeah, not great. <laughs> But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna roll through that because we have spent a lot of time in this movie, uh, probably more than some people would say it deserves. Although I enjoyed talking, I enjoyed talking I about it with always, you much more than I enjoyed yes. watching it. Always yes. a pleasure. Let's let's say thank you to Karen again. She's gonna make us sound intelligent Ooh, yeah. or more intelligent mm -hmm. than we already come across when we're doing <laughs> this live. Also, thanks to our patrons. We haven't thanked yes. them lately, and we do really love y'all the discord is a really fun place to hang out and i got a piece of fan mastodon mastod ma they call them toots which i cannot that doesn't actually... sound good yeah uh but someone did a little like uh, sent me a message in oh. mastodon saying that they had listened to their very first episode and found it oh, delightful lovely. and you know that it's great to yeah. hear that and we love doing the show we we do it for almost no uh, money not yeah. money <laughs> yeah. we do it because we enjoy it we do it because we enjoy it and it gives me a lot of joy when other people other people also mm -hmm. uh, have a good time with it and is there anything else to i add? believe you know so we'll we'll close april with the rock walking yes. towards you uh with the rock yes. and then we will be doing uh the star trek sort of strange new world star trek uh crossover and we're going to be mapping out stuff after that we've got we do you know, oh and then yellow, yellow jackets, jackets coming on the horizon yeah yellow jackets coming out of that and then we have some other stuff that we're not as quite sure on so we're not going to tell you but until next time keep this channel open for more